Well, thank you, Sherry, for that uh, wonderful prayer for our community and for our world. Um, we're going to, uh, this be our last message in the book of 2 Corinthians. I want to thank you all for hanging in there. And uh, I hope that you've really been reading through this every week. It's a powerful book and a lot of great, uh, great truth there. And today we're going to wrap it all up and see what uh, Paul has to say to us uh, today. Uh, so let's begin uh, just with a prayer. And once again, if you feel comfortable extending your hands as a, just a sign of receptivity to the word, if you would do that. Father, uh, this is your word, and our prayer is that um, this word would take root in our lives. Lord, I pray that uh, each and every one of uh, the listeners today will uh, be worshipers, that they will be open in their hearts, in their spirits, uh, in their ears to receive what you have for them. Thank you, Father, for this amazing book that was written so long ago and that is truth for us today. Bless us, Lord, now as we open our hearts to the word, and we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, a couple of years after Sherry and I moved to Chandler in 2002, um, one of our friends in the church um, had a timeshare in Kiowa Island, South Carolina that wasn't going to be used. So we were able to use it that summer, and we had a wonderful vacation. Uh, one Sunday that we were there, uh, we visited one of the oldest churches in the United States. St. John's Presbyterian Church was established in 1719, a generation before George Washington was born. This was an amazing little church. It had um, these family pews where you had a little box. I think you had to pay your tithe to get one of these deals. But uh, a little box, and you sat your family, very hard wooden pews. In those days, they wouldn't allow you to sleep through a sermon, whereas today you're in your lounger chair, and you're probably going to fall asleep during mine. But uh, it was just an incredible little church. But what really struck struck me, was all around the top of the ceiling, all around the inside of the church, were these plaques. And every one of the plaques represented a pastor who had served that church for the last 300 years. So each plaque had a date of birth, a date of death, and then the time, the, the years of service uh, to St. John's Presbyterian Church. For instance, Jonathan Knox born 1698, died 1769, served St. John's from 1731 to 1757. All around the church was a, a, a plaque of each pastor represented by two numbers, a DOB, date of birth, and a DOD, date of death. And in between those two numbers was a dash. That's all there was, a dash represented their entire life. Now behind the church were hundreds of gravestones going all the way back to the 1600s. We were blown away by this experience. By the way, the church service was really terrible, but the church was awesome, and we really loved it. Looking back, I couldn't help but realize that each life was reduced to two dates and a dash. One little dash represented an entire life. And I thought, what did that pastor live for? What was his passions? What did he love? Who did he love? What were his dreams? 
What were his regrets? When you think about it, we don't have control over many things in our lives, right? Especially this time that we're going through. We have no control over where we were born, which culture we were born into, which parents we were born to. We have no control over any of that. Only God knows those things. And the Bible says that our times are in his hands. But we do have control over one thing. We get to decide how we're going to live our dash. Each and every one of us, we get to decide how we're going to live our dash. For me, it'll be the years between 1948 and only God knows when. A lot of things are out of our control today, especially during the pandemic. Many freedoms have been put on hold, but we still get to decide how we live our dash. So here's the question for today. How are you living your dash? How are you living your dash during this time of strange, different, difficult times? How are you living your dash? Now, for these weeks that we've been preaching through 2 Corinthians, Paul has been kind of giving us a guideline, a pathway to live our dash successfully, to live our dash fully, to live our dash completely. And today I want to look once again at some of those ways that we are to live our dash. But uh, Paul says this in chapter 13. That's the the book we'll be looking at a little bit today. In chapter 13, verse 5, we read this verse. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. Examine yourselves. Now, when you're in school, all of us had this experience, when the teacher would say something like this, now this is really important, this really matters, we knew that that was what? It was going to be on the final exam, right? That was going to be on the final exam. Well, what Paul has been telling us all this week, this is going to be on the final exam. So let's look at our lives and let's look at our dash and how we're living our dash. The first thing is this. We are to live a life of encouragement. To live a life of encouragement. You know this from the study that we've been doing. Let me read you verses 3 through 7 of chapter 1. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source, God is the source of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. When we started this series, we knew nothing about the coronavirus. We knew nothing. We started this in the first Sunday of February. We knew nothing of this. But God has promised when they, um, uh, that in our troubles, so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. I hope that's true someday. We'll recognize that. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort that God gives us. Are you living a life of encouragement in your dash. We've been called by Paul to live because God has comforted us. 
we can comfort each other. There's somebody in our church that um, uh, told me this week that they send out a blessing text every day to someone in our congregation. A blessing text every day. Now, we have some neighbors, uh, Steve and Gwen, right across the, directly across the street from us in Sun Lakes. And about, uh, honey, about a month ago, um, Gwen was diagnosed. She was sick, went to the hospital. She had the coronavirus. And uh, she was hospitalized for a few days. Thankfully, she was okay. She came home. She's now free of that virus, so that's all good. But her husband, Steve, still tests positive for the coronavirus. Um, after three tests, he's never had any symptoms, but he tests positive for the virus. During this time, Sherry's established a really neat relationship with Gwen. They used to do uh, water aerobics together, and uh, it's suspended right now. But a really good friendship, and neither Steve nor Gwen are Christ followers. And Sherry has been subtly and beautifully just sharing the love of Jesus with them. We've both told them we were praying for them while they were uh, infected with this virus. Um, they've even joked about, please pray for us. They've never been praying people of their entire Please pray for us. I believe that God is going to lead them to Christ one day through Sherry and uh, through this difficult time of the coronavirus. We need to encourage each other. That encouragement that comes from God. In spite of our troubles, our pain, in spite of the persecution we feel, the distress, the virus, living our dash means that we are encouraged by God and we are to encourage others. Listen to 2 Corinthians 1.10, the first part of it, the second part of the verse. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. That's a continuous a participle that was movement. God will continue over and over and over again to rescue us even during this difficult time. And Paul goes on to say, and we can rely on God for that. And do you know why we can rely on God for that? Because God is the one who raises Jesus from the dead. The power to raise Jesus from the dead, that's why we can rely on God to comfort us during this difficult time. Live a life of encouragement in your dash. The second thing is this. Live a life of yes. Live a life of yes. Listen to verses 19 and 20 of chapter 1. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you, and as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes and through Christ our Amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. To live a life of yes. In Christ, all of God's promises, all of his blessings have been fulfilled with a resounding yes. Now religion always says no. Don't touch that. Don't go there. Don't do that. But in Christ Jesus... All of the promises and all of the blessings found in this book are given to us with a resounding yes, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness? Yes. Healed from a broken heart? Yes. Joy in the morning? Psalm 30? Yes. Every promise, every blessing, every grace is yes, yes, and yes. The end of the coronavirus? Someday, yes. Now, Paul was writing his book uh, to the Philippian church, 
the book of Philippians, when he was in a prison in Rome. (laughs) And the book of Philippians, the whole theme of that book is joy. And Paul was writing about joy in our dash, joy in our lives, while he was in a prison in Rome. In other words, the circumstances don't matter. Because God says to each and every one of us, all of his blessings, all of his promises are yes, yes, and yes. Now hear this. Because God has said yes to us in Christ Jesus of all the blessings and the promises, we have the privilege, the opportunity as Christ followers to say yes to him. We read in the scriptures, God, how do you want us to live? He said, the platinum goal, I mean, we know the good, the golden rule, right? No, the platinum rule is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the platinum rule. All the other instructions, all the other laws are subservient to that. You get that one right. So we have the privilege. Every time God says, listen, here's how I want you to love me, okay? And our response is yes. And here's how I want you to love the people in your family. Oh, that's hard when everybody's under your feet, right, all the time. How do you, and how, how are we supposed to love the people outside of our family? How do we love the people at church? How do we love the people that we work with? How do we love the people that we don't even like? Or the people that have hurt us? All the, and all of that we have the opportunity in Christ to say, yes, I will love them. Yes, I will love them. I don't know how I'm going to do it. It's going to be difficult, challenging, but yes, yes, and yes. We have to live a life of yes when we live our dash. The third thing we do is this. We live a life of forgiveness. Uh, Listen to verses uh, 6 through 8 of chapter 2. Most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. This is about the man that we read about in 1 Corinthians that was immoral in the body of Christ and they just kind of let him sit there and not really confront him. So uh, Paul says, Most of you opposed him and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise he may overcome, he might be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. And in other parts of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, Listen, the most important thing you can do as a Christ follower is to learn how to forgive. Why? Colossians 3. As Jesus Christ has forgiven you, you are to forgive each other. In the same way that Jesus forgives you, we are to forgive those who have hurt us, those who have abused us, those that we don't like, those of a different political expression, those of a different sexual expression. We are to forgive them and love them. That's what God is calling us to. The context in the Bible that we've read so often says that forgiveness is something that God has commanded us to do. It is something that God has commended us to do. You need to do this. This is going to work. It is something that confounds Satan. When we forgive our enemies, we're the only religion in the world that says you're supposed to do that. When we forgive our enemies, that confounds Satan. We are to live a life of forgiveness. The next thing we read about in living our dash is we're to live a life of newness. The old covenant was externally keeping the law, which human beings have failed for 1,200 years, right? We've never done it. Never. I mean, we try, we try to set a goal, but we've just never done it. Externally keeping the laws is the old covenant. The new covenant is having an internal transformation of our heart. Jesus comes into our life 
And he literally gives us his righteousness. So now our goodness does not flow from what we do. Our goodness flows from the Christ that lives within us. Religion or relationship? Jesus says it's all about a relationship. Law or the overwhelming grace that we find in the love of Jesus? It's all about grace. Works, what we do, or faith, what has been done for us? Religion is spelled do, D-O. Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E, done. What Christ did for us becomes our righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Now, I'm going to give you an assignment right now, right in the middle of the message. And, here's the, and it's not going to be easy. This is where you need to literally ask yourself, okay, as a disciple of Jesus, I'm going to say yes before Pastor Dwayne even asks this question. Because I'm not asking this question. This question comes from Paul. And more specifically, on several places it comes from Jesus. Here it is. You've experienced a new life in Christ. You know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. This week, I want you to tell someone. One person. A family member, somebody you work with, somebody you go to school with, a relative, a friend from the past. Maybe you do it via a text. Maybe you do it via FaceTime or Zoom or whatever. But somewhere this week, you tell somebody that you are a new person in Christ Jesus. Believe me, that is what God wants us to do. And disciples of Jesus say, yes, yes, yes to that. The next thing that we see in our living our dash is a life of purpose. Chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Here's what we read. For God who is in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. A life of purpose. Now you've heard this many times, and we're going to hear it one more time. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Say it with me. When you know who you are, you'll know what you do. When you know who you are, you know what your purpose is. And God made it very clear right here that we have been recreated. We are new people in Christ Jesus. You're going to share that with somebody this week. We've also been reconciled. The reconciled Jesus who has been reconciled us, brought us back together, re-knit us like Bo Jackson's bat. We are reconciled. And because we have that reconciliation in us, we have been reconciled to God. We also have the righteousness of Christ within us. And we are also called to be representatives or ambassadors of Jesus Christ. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Because we are the highest ranking diplomats sent from heaven by God to earth to share the good news of the reconciling love of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. And that's what I've asked you to do this week. To share the fact that you are a new person in Christ Jesus with someone. To be that ambassador of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. And when you know who you are, you will know what you do. Living the dash 
is all about that. But also we talked about living a life of generosity. 2 Corinthians 8.5 They did even more than we had hoped for. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us. Their first action before they reached for their pocketbook, before they reached for their coins, the first thing they did was give themselves to the Lord and to us, to the body of Christ, just as God wanted them to. In uh, June of 2000, uh, Sherry and I uh, moved from uh, St. Paul, Minnesota to um, uh, Chandler, Arizona. The first few months, we lived with Sherry's parents while our house was being built. But let me tell you about our situation when we got here. I was 59 or 51 years old. Sherry was 40-something, uh, right? <laughs> and uh, when we moved here, um, we had nothing. Now, the reason we had nothing is because of my gambling addiction. And uh, so we had uh, uh, a car that barely ran, and we finally gave it away to someone. And we had a U-Haul trailer, U-Haul truck, and we had a few worldly possessions, but we had no money. It was at that point, and the church that I was starting, the Hope Covenant Church, was a very small church, so they couldn't pay me very much. All of this kind of was a confluence of God's grace and my inability to live the dash like I was supposed to, and God brought his grace into that situation, and we made a determination, Sherry and I did, that we were going to live generously for the rest of our lives. Even though we didn't have anything to live generously. Fast forward 20 years, God has blessed us enormously. I can't tell you how much money of our salary that we've given away. But every time we give it away to some cause, some ministry, God replenishes it and replaces it. And God is amazing. Sherry will come to me and say, well, you know, there's another child in World Vision that needs a family. And I, um, honey, the bills, the budget, all that. Just as a disciple, guess what I said? Yes. yes. All right. Well, you know, there's this student that we used to have in confirmation back in church in Lakewood, and they're going on a short-term mission, and they need some financial help. Yes. 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 Over and over and over again. And here, here's the great news. God has been so generous to us, and we've been able to be generous to others, and he's just poured out his blessing on us. Just poured out his blessings on us. We now have a really comfortable life, a really comfortable life, and it's like we can't give it away enough. Live a life of generosity. I promise you, God promises you that if you put him first, he will take care of the rest of your life. Live a life of generosity. And the next is this. Live a life with an undivided heart. Life with an undivided heart. When Paul recognized that there was all of these um, false prophets and these false teachers infiltrating the church at Corinth, he said, listen, you need to know that Jesus is the only true, one true God. You need to know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by him. These false prophets, these false teachers are all saying something like this. Jesus is good, but Jesus plus Judaism, Jesus plus Speaking in tongues. Jesus plus anything else. Paul said no. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And if you don't like that math equation, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So Paul said, listen, you have turned away from your beloved. 
God is our bridegroom. We are the bride of Christ. We married him. We said yes to him. We are committed to him. We are giving our lives to him. And Paul said, you've looked at another woman. You've looked at another God. I had an experience, unfortunately this has happened many times in all of my churches, but this one particular time, there's a guy in our church and I was noticing his behavior with a woman in our church. And uh, they were having these private little confabs, little conversations. And, and he had mentioned a couple times to me that he had taken her out to lunch to get her opinion about something. And I said, you know what, man? This is dangerous territory. By doing these, these talks and these phone calls and these texts, this is not, this is not right. I mean, and he got mad at me. Well, usually somebody will get mad at you if you speak the truth and they don't like it, right? So he got mad at me. He said, well... I'm just going to quit going to church. And I said, well, that's not the answer. I said, you're marking dangerous territory. You're turning your head from your wife to someone else. He said, no, I'm not. Well, three months later, that's exactly what he did. He left his wife. He left his family. He went after this woman. Guess what? He ruined two families. And he harmed the church in a very deep way. Don't turn your head away from your one true God. Don't look to another God. Don't look to another idol something that you have come to believe somehow will satisfy you because it won't. You are married to Jesus. Live for Him. He is jealous for you, Paul said, right? He is jealous for you. He wants you and He wants an undivided heart by you. Living our dash. The last thing we see is this. Living a life of grace. We talked about this last week. And this uh, passage that we looked at last week was so amazing. You'll remember it. Verses 8 and 9 of chapter 12. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. This is the thorn in the flesh that Paul experienced. We don't know what it was, but it was a tremendously painful physical ailment. We don't know what that was, but that's what it was. Each time God said, My grace is sufficient for you. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. My grace is sufficient for you. Whatever difficulty you're facing, whatever hardships you're facing during this coronavirus, maybe you've lost your job, financial ruin may even be around the corner for some of you. God has said this. He has promised that His grace is sufficient for you, for your daily needs, for your family. His grace is sufficient for you. And this grace that is sufficient, it means that it fits perfectly what you need. Whatever that thorn is in your life, that grace perfectly fills that need that you have in your life. It's an exact fit. And he says, I'll use this thorn to humble you and to cause you to recognize that I am the one true God. I remember... Um, this was, must be, it was after I was reordained in February of 2000, but before we had a call to another church in Chandler, Arizona. So there's that gap in there. I was working for Quicksilver in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, a courier company. And uh, I remember I was delivering some things, and I heard on the radio this song came on the song. And again, I'd just been reordained, and I was feeling very grateful and a lot of gratitude. And the song came on, and the song was Rivers of Mercy, and oceans of grace. Maybe you remember that song from 20 years ago. Rivers of mercy and oceans of grace. And I just started to sob. And I had to pull the car over to the side of the road. And I just wept because I was so humbled 
that God still would use me. That kind of gratitude comes from the grace of God. That kind of grace is something that we can't buy, we can't purchase. It is freely given to us because of his love for you and for me. And he says also, Paul says that uh, when you experience his grace, you show God the glory. Right? In my weakness, God's strength is seen. Living the dash. Listen once again to chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. Is your faith genuine? Because if it's not, you're not going to survive this time. This time of hardships and persecution. You're just not. You're going to fall apart. You're going to fail. But God says, if your faith is genuine, are you living a life of encouragement? Are you living a life of saying yes? Are you living a life of forgiveness, of newness, of purpose, of generosity, an undivided heart? Are you living a life of grace? Well, you might say, well, Pastor Dwayne, how, how do I examine myself? Well, I, I wrote down a few things from Scripture that will help you figure out how to examine yourself. The first question that you need to ask is this. Do I love God with all my heart? I know it's very subjective. Only you can answer that. Do I love God with all my heart? Do I daily communicate with Him? Do I daily thank Him for His grace and His mercy? Do I have this living loving, alive relationship with Him. Not an external, I did the right thing, I went to church today, but an internal love for Jesus. Do you love the things that Jesus loves? Do you hate the things that Jesus hates? That's the first and most important question to examine yourself. Do I love God with all my heart? I remember um, in 2007, uh, uh, I was having a lot of pain in one of my calves and I continued to work out and I thought it was just a muscle cramp and I, this happened over a period of maybe six weeks and it got worse and worse and worse and I'm one of those guys, one of those hard-headed guys that doesn't want to go to the doctor and finally at a staff meeting, uh, one of our staff members, Kent Bertrand, f- said, you don't, you don't look good and, um, and, somebody else, and somebody else said something, I said, well, I've got this terrible pain in my calf and now I... I kind of feel it in my chest. And one of the gals on our staff was, had been a nurse. She said, it sounds like you've got a blood clot. And so Kent rushed me over to the hospital. And um, at the time, I was, in my, I was in my 60s. And when a 60-something-year-old man comes in the emergency room, you get to go front of the line. <laughs> and they start, and they, uh-oh, something's wrong here. And what they found out was that blood clot had gotten to my lungs. And I literally, when they told me that, I literally began to pass out. And as I passed out, I had these two thoughts, and only these two thoughts that came through my mind. Number one, man, have I told Sherry where all of the important papers are? Because <laughs> I should have done that. And the other thing was this. Lord, if this is your time for me, I am so ready to go and be with you. I am so in love with you, and I've had an amazing life. And I don't want to leave my wife, I don't want to leave my kids, my church, but if this is it, I am so happy to be in your presence. Paul said to be present in the, to be present in the Lord is to be absent, and to be absent in your body is to be present with the Lord. And I was feeling that very thing. Do you love the Lord Jesus with all your heart? Second question when you examine yourself, do I love others as myself? 
you cannot say you love God and hate people. God said, I, listen, these are all my children. All my children, even the ones who haven't said yes to me yet. These are my children. I have created them in my image. I love every one of them. Yes, I want them all to love me back, even though they don't. I still love them. And you, because if you love me, you are required to love them. These are my children. If you don't love my children, God would say, don't invite me to lunch. <laughs> you know, Because we're not going to be friends, right? We have to love each other. And that's not just your family or your church family or the people you like, but to all the people in the world. That's why as Christ followers, we should never be pointing our finger and saying, you people are so bad over there. And we should say, how can we get over there and tell them about the love of Jesus? That's what we should be doing. Do I love others as myself? How about this one? Do I exhibit the fruit of the Spirit? Listen to these verses. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. If you're living the dash, if you examine yourself and you see these fruits coming out of your life, you can be absolutely sure that you're a child of God. Listen to these. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are these the fruit that are being born in your life? That's how we examine ourselves. And how about this one? Does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you're a child of God? Romans 8, 16. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Some of you might say, well, Pastor Dwayne, that one's kind of subjective and you know, I think I'm a Christ follower and I, I, I prayed the prayer, you know. Uh, I thought it was kind of a magic bullet. I prayed the prayer when I was six years old or 16 or 60. I, I, you know, I, I've, I've, done, I've, done the, I've done the dance. I've done what I'm supposed to do. But does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you're a child of God? Some of you might be saying, I'm, I'm not really sure. Can I offer a suggestion this morning? Put a stake in the ground. Put a stake in the ground and say, yeah, there, there, there. I have said yes to Jesus many times, but, but today I'm going to put a stake in the ground and I'm going to trust that what God says in his word is true, that the spirit of God will bear witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. Listen to what 1 John 5 says. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son, Whoever has the Son, listen, whoever has the Son has life. Not maybe, not could be. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. If you need to put a stake in the ground today and say, I say yes to Jesus. I invite him to be my Lord and Savior. I want to love him the way he loves me. I want to experience his grace and his forgiveness. I want to say yes to him and I'm going to put a stake in the ground and that's going to live with me for the rest of my life. If you have the Son, you have life. Trust God in that. And then Paul's final greetings. Listen to these words. Chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful. Grow to maturity. Encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Love 
love all God's people here who send you their greetings. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Be joyful. That's not a joy that comes from happiness. That's a joy that comes from knowing who you are and whose you are. Grow to maturity. That means when you know who you are, you will know what to do to encourage each other every day and every way and to live in harmony and peace with each other. And a holy kiss. Now, we can't do that unless you're there with your wife or your kids, but let me do it for you, right? That's a holy kiss for all of you, and that is God's promise. Um, I want us to close this message uh, with a benediction that Paul gives us. And this is a benediction from 2 Corinthians, and I want us to say it together. But after I say it together, I would ask you, if you will, to just close your eyes just for a moment, because I want to pray with some of you who might want to say yes to Jesus, okay? So let's say this benediction together. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Now, if you'll bow your heads with me just for a moment. Father, I just believe that there might be some people here today uh, watching this service that have never said yes to you, or maybe they just have questions. I'm not sure, but Lord, you always want us to be sure. You want us to know if we have the Son, we have life. And so here's my prayer, Lord, that if there are people that just aren't quite sure that you would just help them pound a stake in the ground on May the 3rd, 2020, and say, I am saying yes to Jesus. I'm inviting him into my heart as my Lord and Savior. I'm inviting him to forgive me of my sins, to fill me with his spirit. I'm inviting him to allow me to live with him forever. I'm inviting him to help me to live the rest of my dash with the kind of love and the kind of grace and the kind of blessing that you have called us to. So, Father, that is my prayer, that there would be people right now who would say yes to you. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. Forgive me of my sins. Allow me to live my dash faithfully for you. And I do pray this in all of these things in the precious name of Jesus.